All right, I believe we're mostly back and settled. So I will uh, repeat for for those of you who weren't here in the beginning. There's the there were some uh, wobbles in my corner of the universe this morning, and uh, first the internet was not available as of last night. The power had gone. The, the uh, storm had come through and knocked out the modem and uh, windstream. Uh, told me that it would be that they would let me know a day ahead of time before the service would be back um, and the next few days sometime and so I made preparations to take my little tent over to CSA uh, where the hopefully there was an internet um, so I had everything packed up this morning and then I got a text message from Windstream. It said it would be my service would be back on by the 18th of the month. Um, that's another two weeks. So I thought, wow, this is interesting. <laughs> and then uh, just before just before I was about to leave, I came back up to my office and happened to notice that the modem was light was green, and so the internet was actually working. And so I thought, Phew. so I relaxed a little bit and finished my breakfast and uh, wrote some emails and then uh, had everything set back up. And I came up and about 15 minutes ahead of time, I usually turn this on sometime early to make sure everything's working. And, uh, and as I turned the meeting on, uh, the little light went out on the modem and I had no internet. And I also had no time to move everything to CSA. So then I'm furiously scrambling around with my phone, trying to get the phone hooked up to Zoom so that we can do this in a very miniature form. And, uh, and as I'm just about getting that set, I look up and a little green light has come back on on the modem, and here we are. So... So it's interesting for me, you know, to just observe these things. And of course, I'm just reading about not being attached to the results of our actions and taking things as they, as they come in our Bhagavad Gita. And so here we are. Uh, so I'm, I'm telling you all that because, you know, it's life. Um, but also because if we lose our internet connection, it's not personal. Um, so you can just go pick up the book and, and read. We're working on chapter five. So you can continue on on your own for the time being. So let's see. We'll get started here. <clears throat> uh, cord. That works. All right. Good. So uh, yesterday we, we kind of reviewed the... Uh, we uh, reviewed where we had been already with the Bhagavad Gita and set the stage once again for the context for the story. And I will also remind you once again that if questions come up as we're going through this, um, let's deal with the questions as they come so that we're, you know, appropriate and relevant and we don't forget. Uh, so we have an opportunity for more interaction and dialogue as we go forward. So that'll be good for for you and good for me. So chapter five is the yoga of renunciation. And Arjuna says, you've praised both renunciation and the yoga of action, Krishna. 
tell me now of these two, which is the better path? Renunciation, action. The blessed Lord said, Krishna, higher consciousness says, renunciation and yoga both lead to the ultimate good. But of the two paths, Arjuna, yoga is the more direct. Renunciation and yoga. Of the two paths, yoga, this is intentional action. So rather than moving away and and renouncing, we intentionally engage. And he says, this is, this path is more direct. And then he goes on to say that the true renunciate neither desires things nor avoids them. Indifferent to pleasure and pain, he is easily freed from all bondage. So this is, this is dispassion. True renunciate neither desires things nor avoids them. We are dispassionate. We are dispassionate. It's not that we don't have things. It's not that we don't need to uh, interact with the things, the substances, and the circumstances and events. But there's no, no strong desire. There's no need. And I'm reminded of a story that uh, that Roy liked to tell about the the monk who whose master and guru said, you know, you, it's it's your time. You've come to the place where you really need to go off into the forest and be quiet and just sit by yourself. So this is the path of renunciation. And so he sends his disciple out into the forest and the disciple has no nothing with him. He only has two loincloths, um, you know, one to wash in the stream and the other one to wear. And so... Uh, and so he sits in meditation and each morning he gets up and goes down to the river. It's right next to the river. He goes down to the river, takes his bath, uh, washes his loincloth, hangs it up, and then sits in meditation and contemplation. And so the days pass like this for a few days. And then one day he notices when he's washing his loincloth that uh, there's a little hole in it. And so as he's meditating and sitting, he, he keeps one eye kind of half cocked and he notices that a little mouse is coming and gnawing on his loincloth and making a hole in the loincloth. And he thinks, oh my goodness, you know, I only have these two loincloths and if the mouse makes a bunch of holes in it, what am I going to do? So he decides he needs to get a cat. A cat will keep the mice away. And so so he arranges with the, one of the the children from the village who comes by to bring him a cat. And so he gets along with the cat very well, but uh, he also has to rely on uh, someone from the village to bring him a little bit of milk every day to feed the cat. And so eventually he's going, you know, I really need to be responsible. So he arranges to get a cow so he'll have some milk to be able to feed the cat. And then, of course, he needs to have you know, somebody to come around and help. So he has a child who will come in and help take care of the cow. So he has the milk to feed the cat, to keep the mouse away from his loincloth. And he realizes pretty soon that uh, taking care of a child to be able to take care of the cow requires more attention than he has. So he has to get a woman to come in and help take care of the child. And of course, they're together so he has to have a little house for her and 
And so here he is with a woman and a child and a cow and a cat and uh, has to have, you know, have a little garden to feed them. And so one day his guru happens to walk along and he notices that there's this little hut and all this activity in a garden. And he says, I, I thought I told you to go out and be quiet. <laughs> what happened? And, and the disciple said, well, it was my loincloth, you know, so, so all about this loincloth. One desire leads to the next, and one thing leads to the next. And the next thing we know, we're entangled, enchanted, all, you know, filled up with responsibilities, all these very important things that we need to do. And if we kind of step back and deconstruct it, it's like, well, we're doing this to take care of that. And we're doing that to take care of that other thing. And maybe if we get rid of all that, um, life will be much simpler. You know, we see a tendency, a trend now at some places in the world where people are downsizing. You know, they are... Uh, starting to get rid of things, moving into these tiny houses, you know, where you can live in one room that has all your accoutrements and um, exploring the idea of living very, very simply. So, so the idea here is that a true renunciate doesn't desire things and doesn't avoid things, but rather just engages mindfully and consciously. And that's the trick is being mindful and conscious is knowing that the things that we have, what we're using, are appropriate and useful, and that we use them. We are not the, um, we are not their slaves. We are not the, uh, we're not here just to take care of all the things that we have acquired, but rather they can be useful service for us, or we can get rid of them, pass them along. Indifferent to pleasure and pain, easily freed from all bondage. Fools say that knowledge and yoga are separate, but the wise do not. When you practice one of them deeply, you gain the rewards of both. So, knowledge, awareness, jnana yoga, uh, intellect, and action, practicing meditation, being attentive to what we're thinking and feeling and doing, our yoga, our action, both of these things are equally um, uh, important, and each one is a path that's complete in and of itself. They're not separate. They come together because we need to be wise and attentive to what we're doing, and we need to do. We need to interact and relate, and we can't we can't really ever separate those. Um, so when we practice one deeply, we we gain the rewards of both. So as we focus more on one side or the other. We also are engaging and we begin to, um, to see the benefits. We see the, the effects of what's happening over time. The state reached by true knowledge is also reached by yoga. Both paths lead to the self. Both paths, paths lead to selfless action. Selfless action. It is to act without thinking about what's in it for me without being concerned about myself. And so, so the state re reached by true knowledge is also reached by yoga. So the idea here is that we need to, to choose the path that suits our temperament. So we will, we will have more of an inclination to be intellectual, to be thinking, analyzing, contemplating. You know, we may spend more time and more energy in that direction 
or we may find that it suits our temperament better to be very fully active and engaged and paying attention to how we're feeling and how what we're thinking and how we're acting uh, to engage in intentional disciplines you know to make sure not only that we sit down and do our meditation every morning but that we're very intentional about having kind of a ritual for our day and an and intentional uh, program that we're following um, Ryan Strong reminded us in the workshop yesterday you know that it's very useful for us to have to do everything that we do on a regular schedule the mind emotional nature body spirit everything really really resonates really uh is fine-tuned is optimized when we get up at the same time we have breakfast at the same time we meditate at the same time when we do the same thing on a routine schedule every day it helps to sort of tune the system up and when we're when we're erratic when we change all the time this increases vata dosha this increases the um overstimulates the nervous system and it creates some wobble some imbalances and eventually you know if we let if we if this becomes chronic if this goes on over a long period of time uh, it's really destabilizing so to be grounded and centered it's great to have a to focus you know so our temperament may be to be very intentional with our practice with our actions paying attention to what we're doing rather than to sit and contemplate so it depends on how we're, you know, what our temperament is, how we're wired up as to what the best and, and most efficient uh, way of proceeding is for us. But again, Krishna has said here already three times that there's one is not better than the other. They both lead to the same place and they both are kind of mutually dependent, interdependent. Uh, he goes on to say, it's hard to renounce all action without engaging in action. I mean, the pr in order to renounce action, that is an action, you see. So he, say, he says, hey, you know, how are you going to do that? How are you going to renounce action without taking the action of renouncing? Um, the sage, wholehearted in yoga, in the yoga of action, soon attains freedom. Sage, wholehearted in the yoga of action, soon attains freedom. And he says, says this because if we're not wholeheartedly engaged, there are all these uh, complications, these challenges that come up. There are relationships to be dealt with. So we, you know, we have relationships, and these disturb the mental field, uh, you know, create some um, disharmony sometimes, sometimes wonderful, sometimes challenging uh, emotions come up there are emotions that are constantly bubbling up through the system if you're operating in a vehicle you know a mind and body and physical vehicle um, the nature of the way it operates is through emotions so you're going to have emotions and if these emotions aren't grounded and balanced if we're not focused remember he said wholehearted in the yoga of action that is this intentional action to live mindfully, consciously. So, so we, uh, we are mindful of what we're doing. We are emotionally mature. We don't allow the emotions to push us around. We don't allow ourselves to be um, uh, overly influenced by these external 
uh, event, events, by urges that come up from within, by the senses. Um, all these things are they're real. They're not going to go away, but we can be uh, dispassionate. We can sort of be observing them as they act and not be subject to what's happening. So does that make sense? So we're so we're uh, we're always kind of on top of it. We say, okay, the operating system has these characteristics that are happening, but I don't have to be the victim or the effect of what's popping up through the system. Uh, and Mr. Davis goes on to say, uh, subconscious impulses, addictive behaviors, memories. So all these things can be, you know, can take us over, can enchant us, can, can uh, occupy our mind and awareness and distract us from being focused and centered. So, so the sage, that is the wise one, wholehearted in the yoga of action, soon attains freedom. So freedom is freedom from being the effect of all these things that are going on. All these circumstances, events, urges, behaviors. And then Krishna, enlightened consciousness, goes on and says, wholehearted, purified, mastering body and mind, his self becomes the self of all beings. He is unstained by anything that he does. And Roy says this, this is a re- reference to cosmic consciousness. So we become awake, aware, and we lose the sense of separation. That I am separate from everything that's happening, everything that's going on from the entire expressive universe. I'm, I'm separate. We, we lose the sense of separation and we feel ourselves to be part of it. So this is to be conscious of our real nature as or cosmic conscious that is to be expanded in awareness no longer limited in any way Um, and and as we um, experience this unlimited being then our actions are always appropriate so if we're if if we're not being driven by desires and if we're if we don't have an agenda uh, if we don't have expectations about what's supposed to happen next and what's going on in the future, if we're not compulsive, if we're not addicted, if what we're doing is just the natural thing that comes, the natural thing that emerges, this is obviously the thing I should be doing right now. And and if we live in this way, in this conscious, expanded way, then nothing that we do creates any karma, creates any long-term effect, Everything that we do is always perfect and appropriate for the time and place that we are. And again, there's my favorite line in here that we will come to later is Krishna saying, uh, I do nothing and nothing remains undone. So, So here we are. We're always appropriate. We, of course, are always engaged in action. We have to be. And at the same time, we can see that our actions are part of this larger reality. The man who has seen the truth does not think I am the doer. At all times, when he sees, when he hears, when he touches, when he smells, eats, walks, sleeps, breathes, at all times, when he defecates, talks, or takes hold, when he opens his eyes or shuts shuts them, at all times, he thinks 
This is merely sense objects acting on the senses. This is merely this interaction of impulses, information, things that are information that's coming into my body, sense objects interacting with the senses, and everything that I'm perceiving is part of this process, part of this little drama. So I am the observer, the witness to this whole process. So, so not thinking that I am the doer and I am having this, but rather this is a process that's happening that I'm involved with. Does this make sense? So, so we're not, we're not outside. We're not separate and we're not even the prime mover. You know, the ego says I'm doing this and I need to have some control and I need to have some power over my life and I need to manipulate the people around me or at least the environment around me. I need to, you know, move these things in the right way so that I can have the right stuff so that I can survive. So I don't have to worry about, you know, my life so I can be comfortable so I can ha be happy and have pleasure and enjoy. We, we want to push the world around. We want to move. And, and Krishna keeps telling us higher consciousness keeps saying, you, you think you're doing this, but you're not doing anything. You know, it's doing it. It, it is doing it. And you get to go along for the ride. It's like, it's like you just, you know, you got in one of those cars, but if anybody's ever been to Disneyland, I remember many, many incarnations ago, um, you know, you pay your money, you stand in line and then you get in the little car and then you're on the ride. And if you, you know, if it's a roller coaster and they take you up to the top and then ah, um, you have no control over what's happening and where the next turn is. It's just, you're going along for the ride. And here we are, we're going along for the ride, you know, and some days the internet works and some days it doesn't. <laughs> and it's the ride. See, it's, this is what Krishna is, this higher consciousness is saying, you know, don't take this all so personally. Don't make a big deal. Come to the level where you see that things are constantly changing out here. The senses are constantly interacting with the world and with objects and this, and, and, and we don't have to be so enchanted. So um, stuck in this idea that all this has some independent reality, some independent existence, and that I am identified with what's happening. The sense of I, ahamkara, the I maker, the ego, this is happening to me personally. No, it's a ride, you know, <laughs> somebody else designed it <laughs> and, and you can enjoy it, you know, and, and when you get up to the top of the roller coaster and it's just about to go over the edge and it's like you grab onto the bar and you go home oh and the stomach goes up and, you know, it's like, and it's pretty intense, you know, and life is pretty intense and we've had some, uh, amazing uh, victories and some terrible defeats and along the way have all these experiences and whew, what a ride now, what a ride so this is kind of the point Krishna is trying to get us to be not so identified with the character but rather to be identified with the the awareness the consciousness that's having this adventure Ron can I ask you something yes uh, right today, I saw the video of Mr. Davis. Uh, he was talking about the full main purposes of life. And during 
book, he, he talks about responsibility, our responsibility. I, I can't understand how my own responsibility is not um, interconnected with everything that is happening around us. But he just said that you do nothing. So I, I kind of don't actually understand that logical concept. The concept of I'm responsible for taking care of, for fulfilling my purposes, is what Mr. Davis says. We have responsibility for, for, for fulfilling our purposes, and our purposes are to be fully awake, to awake up and become conscious of what we are, you know, to like waking up from a dream. And, and the other uh, main purpose we have is to contribute, is to ha have this life and to fulfill the purpose that we're here for. So, <clears throat> so we've not been brought into this incarnation to be wandering around at Disneyland trying to see what ride we're going to take next. We've actually been brought into this. We've incarnated with a purpose. There is an innate purpose, a reason for our soul, for our individualized consciousness to, to take an incarnation, to have a birth, and to make a contribution to the larger thing. So, it's, so this, um, this can be a little bit uh, complex, I guess, to think about, but, but we are brought here, and it's part of this, part of this organic process of creation it has this intelligence that knows that at some point it's going to need an individual like an Ariana to be able to do certain things, to make contributions in her own way as she goes forward. And in the process of her interaction, in the process of her serving, in the process of her living, she will be touching and interacting with many, many, many people, many, and the environment and many things. And that interaction that's happening is part of this divine order, this divine process that is, that is um, self-organizing. I don't know if that, does that make sense? So we are, on one hand, we are, we are brought here in order to participate and we have a function to fulfill. And if we're living on purpose and doing what we're here to do, then we find it's joyful, fulfilling, and if we're not doing what we're here to do, we're not happy. You can't, it's impossible to have a happy life if you're not doing what you're here to do, if you're not living on purpose. And if you find that you're not happy, then you may want to stand, step back, have a little retreat, and re-examine what you're doing. Because um, when we're living on purpose, we should be joyful. This is, it comes with the territory. And so, and then, and when we're living in that way, then, you know, we, we there's a, an intuition, there's this intuitive notion of what it is that I should be doing, what's the right thing, and we're led, we're guided, and so if we're being led and guided, and if we're, if we're open to that, if we're following the lead, then we find that everything is working, and we don't have to think about, I am doing this, I'm just, I'm just basically you know, showing up and following through. And it's really remarkable when we, when we live like this, and, and you can, you know, of course, when we live like this, we find all these remarkable 
experiences, expressions, uh, reminders, affirmations that show up all the time where the universe comes together and just when we're ready to pack everything up and go out the door, the internet light comes back on. Ha ha, you know, <laughs> isn't that cool? That's grace. And then the light goes out just at the last minute, just to test and see whether or not we really are grounded or whether this is going to really ruin our day. And you say, oh, I was just kidding. <laughs> and now it's all back. <laughs> so, um, so, so, you know, so we can move through this without getting uh, our feathers ruffled too much if we have feathers. Um, and, and, and so it's, so it's a process. So on one hand, yes, we have responsibilities to ourself, the big S, capital self, to be awake. And then on the other hand, we have responsibilities because we have been gifted with this body and this life and this opportunity to interact and to relate. And so we have a responsibility here to make a contribution. What we need is given to us. This is grace. This is automatic. It's like I don't have to worry about what's in it for me because it's part of the process. You know, this comes. So my responsibility is to say, what can I do to contribute? How can I help life continue to unfold and evolve? That's all. And, this, and when I'm clear about that, then I just follow through with that. And then it's not the I, but it's this intuition it is this uh intelligence that's that's woven into the heart of expressive reality that is directing and guiding everything and so we see now oh gosh you know i didn't really get myself here like the quote like one of my favorite quotes from rumi is i didn't bring myself to this dance and whoever brought me here is going to have to take me home so so you know this is this is it's it's a way of living a little more lightly and a little more dispassionately not dispassionate in that we're not engaged in life but rather that we're not uh stuck on the ride you know that we that we realize okay this is quite the adventure and i'm really enjoying all the good parts and all the crazy parts and uh, it's quite a ride you know so that does that help thank you so uh, going on, Krishna says, offering his actions to God, he is free of all action. Sin rolls off of him as drops of water roll off of a lotus leaf. Sin rolls off like drops of water roll off of a lotus leaf. And so here we are offering all of our actions to God. Here we are steadfast, grounded, realized you see it's anchored and here we are operating from this witness consciousness we offer our actions to god because god is the action itself you know god is the action god is the actor and god is that which is being acted upon there is no outside there is nothing else there is only this expressive reality there is only god and so when we get that, when we get that, then everything becomes very easy and very smooth, you know, even though the, you know, even though the background may be wobbling quite a bit, we can just stay, you know, right on center and move on through. Surrendering attachment, the sage performs all actions with his body, his mind, and his understanding 
only to make himself pure. So our intention is to always be awake. Our intention is to always notice what's happening with the mind, with the body, with our emotional nature, with our wisdom. We do all this, and all of this is part of this purification, that is to come into the awareness of what's really happening, what's really going on, what am I, what is this larger reality, what is the relationship. See, all of this comes together in this, in this mindful awareness of what we're doing. And then going on, the resolute in yoga, surrender results and gain perfect peace. The irresolute, attached to results, are bound by everything that they do. So those who are grounded in this practice of uh, mindfulness, awareness, yoga, paying attention to everything, grounded in this, we become peaceful, perfect peace. That is, we're able to stay calm and centered no matter what's happening inside and outside. And Ron, those are irresolute. Can I ask a question, Ron? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, kind of following up on what Ariana said and what we just read here, in a sense, is it since God is doing everything, God's the only reality, at some point, does God become the irresolute? Does God clothe God's self in not knowing so that God goes through this process of awakening? If God's the only thing that's going on, the only mm -hmm. reality, does he or she or, or, or the self limit itself to this being the irresolute in order to become the resolute? Is that what's transpiring here? Well, it's, it's, it's what's transpiring, sort of. And the sort of is, number one, there is no he or she. When we talk about God, we're not talking about a personality that has an intention that's making these things happen. So rather, when we talk about God, we're talking about this expressive reality on one hand and the organizing, ordering intelligence that's inherent within it. And, and so what happens to answer the, the question, you know, directly answer the question is that aspects of this reality become identified, become so enchanted, so engaged in what's happening I, can't, I have to read the next news. I have, you know, I get this on my iPad and I, I have to read the next news item and it's getting late, but God, there's another one here and this is about the virus and what's happening in the politics. And I'm engaged, engaged. And next thing I know, an hour has gone by and I, what happened? I was going to go to bed early, right? We become enchanted. We become engaged. So, so this soul, this, this individualized unit of awareness becomes identified with what's going on in the world around. And in that identification, in this enchantment, it loses its awareness of self. So it's not doing this in order to wake up. It's doing this because of the nature of the process. And so here, each one of us is in the same boat. You know, we have, we have uh, invested in creating this character, in creating the senses, in creating the, the 
mind brain that is literally making sense out of the world and the thoughts and the memories and the expectations all of this information all this stuff and it's really you know it's more compelling than the news it's it's overwhelming and so we get so stuck in it so identified with it that we forget you know gosh i'm you know really i'm actually all the time i'm aware that i'm doing this the i you know this individualized unit so so it's not so much that that god intentionally uh makes himself stupid so that he can wake up but rather that this this organized self-organizing process becomes in, involved with itself and it wakes up through itself just like there's uh you know, just like the, the rose bush, the roots and the branches and the thorns and the leaves and the flowers, the beautiful blossoms are all one thing. See, so it's all, it, it, and we are all part of this one organic expressive, uh, expressive process of life. And so, so the rose bush, there's not some place in the rose bush that says I need to make some blossoms or I need some thorns to protect me. There's an innate intelligence built into it that knows all these things need to happen and all these different forms of expression. And so each of us is, you know, has become identified as our little rose bush. And, and so the process is really waking up and realizing, huh, we're a bush. We're not a blossom. We're not a thorn. We are this whole thing, all of it together, all at once. See? So, so, so better than thinking about uh, a personality having an agenda that's making these things happen is to see that it's an organic, mutually arising process that is unfolding out of itself. And inherent in that unfolding is this kind of interaction, this little dance that goes on where consciousness becomes identified, interested, uh, enchanted by what's going on and then in through that enchantment has this process of awakening and going wow you know that was really intense and now it's a different way of experiencing because i've saw i've seen i've been through the process of uh being so enchanted that i completely forgot what i was i've completely i mean i was completely asleep completely involved in this dream and then I wake up and I go, wow, you know, that was really interesting. That was some ride. And, and we're still there. We're still conscious and everything's still happening, but we're no longer so identified that we're feeling like we're the victim, we're the effect, you know, we're, we're no longer liberated or free, um, which is our natural condition. We are free to do whatever we need to do. When we're identified and limited, we're not free. We're, we're confined by our desires. We're confined by our urges. We're confined by our fears and our upsets and our memories and our experiences and all this stuff that's going, all this baggage that we carry around that keeps us confined, limited. You know, I can't do this. I can't do that. Well, what I, what is the I that can't do something? You know, what is the I that's having this problem? Remember Ramana Maharshi, the great saint in South India, 
people would come to him and for counseling and and say, oh, you know, oh, Baba, please help me. I'm having this terrible problem. I'm having this relationship problem. I can't get along. And, you know, they're disrespecting me. And, and he would say, well, who is the I that's having the problem? What is, where is this I? Show me you're this I, you know, that's having this problem. This is an, a concept, an idea. You have a, you have a concept of yourself as being this separate thing that's having this problem. It doesn't exist. See, you, you are awareness, consciousness. And it is the, it is the identification, it's this limited point of view that gets into the problem of having challenges and upsets and worry and fear and anxiety. So, so Krishna is trying to encourage us to remind us that, that we can be uh, grounded, anchored, resolute, and we can, and uh, Mr. Davis's comment on this was that we can cheerfully do what must be done. Cheerfully do what must be done. So, and like I said, you know, my little example, I got up this morning and I cheerfully packed up my computer and my microphone and, you know, all my accoutrements and my book and had everything ready to put in the car, cheerfully. And then I cheerfully brought it back and put it back together. And then I cheerfully got my iPhone and tried to make sure that Zoom would work. And so we, we just do what has to be done. See? And, and, yeah, there are challenges. Things happen. You know, we're constantly having to deal with that. If you're, if you're out here having this adventure and having a body, then stuff happens. Happens all the time. Happens to everybody. You know, show me the show me the story of a life of a great saint that didn't have great challenges and concerns and suffering and problems. This it comes with the territory. It's kind of the price of admission. So okay, you know, so you have a problem. That's you know, I, and I I have compassion for your suffering, and I certainly would do anything to help relieve any suffering. But you know, it's okay. You can deal with it. You can deal with it. And, and, and that's what we do. Cheerfully, we say, all right, you know, I've got to go to the doctor and get this condition, this situation looked at, fixed, you know, have to pay the price. But I can do it. And I can do it, you know, as a grump. I can do it as the, as the Scrooge, or I can do it cheerfully. I can say, all right, I'm going to go have an MRI, see what's going on inside this body. And, you know, and we can do that in a, in a cheerful, mindful way, knowing that we're going to learn something interesting and whatever's the, whatever problem we're having is going to be uh, resolved as a result. Or we can do it because, because oh, my, you know, I'm, I'm worried, I'm afraid, I'm anxious. Is this the end of my life? What's going to happen next? And, and so we can live in that anxiety and upset and worry. And, you know, it's a choice. It's, a, it's just a choice. It's really that simple. So, so Roy says to cheerfully do what must be done. Just, we know what we must do. Just do it. Show up. And I think that's probably this is probably a good point to end for today. Um, so we're all going to just cheerfully go out next and do the next thing that must be done and. 
here it's almost noon so it'll be lunch this is the cheerful thing that i'll be doing <laughs> <laughs> so any other questions yes Ron, um, i was wondering what we we're talking about yesterday concerning um grace i wanted to um find out if in some sense grace and sacrifice can be related uh, grace, and sacrifice. grace and sacrifice see yesterday um you know, somebody had asked the question that he doesn't see like grace mentioned in the book of Peter, right mm -hmm. but it's a lot of sacrifice that is mentioned and at the point he said this world was built on sacrifice like the free falling rain and all the rituals so I'm, I'm, what i'm trying to ask is is grace and sacrifice kind of like correlate is there a correlation between grace and sacrifice? Um, I'm thinking like grace is from God and sacrifice is from his creation. Right. Well, see, uh, grace, is, grace is from God. Grace is part of this self-organizing process, this, uh, this expressive reality. So, so its nature is taking care of itself. The rose bush, you know, it takes care of itself. It feeds, its, it feeds all of its parts. And... And it knows how to do that. It's intelligent. It's self-organizing. And so the universe takes care of itself in, in, in terms of the environment and in terms of each one of us. We are all supported and nurtured by grace. That's automatic. Sacrifice, what, you know, when we talk about sacrifice, we're talking about letting go of the ideas and the concepts that are limiting. So anything that's a limitation for ourself, we sacrifice, we give that up, we let go of it. And in the process of sacrificing that, we open up, we become a little bit more free, a little bit more liberated, you see, freedom, liberation. And what happens as we become freer is that our awareness expands. As our awareness expands, we find it's easier to stay in tune with what's happening, in tune with the universe, receptive to the grace and the goodness that's available for us. So, so grace is always there. We don't have to do anything to earn it. But what we sacrifice, what we let go of, are the things that are standing in the way of our ability to experience and express and enjoy it. Does that make sense? What does what so, does it mean to uh, say that this world was built on sacrifice? I'm sorry. Say again. What does it mean if the Gita says this world? What does it mean if the Gita says this world was built on sacrifice? Well, when the Gita says this world is built from sacrifice, yeah, like uh, yeah, through sacrifice. Though. I, I think yeah, I've so, said something like that somewhere. Yeah. Well. And again, in, in the context, we're talking about we have to work, we have to do something, we have to, you know, everything that we do is energy that we're putting out. This world is built from these contributions. So we can see sacrifice in that term. So, you know, the world is, is, is built from interaction and energy, prana, moving, and it moves through us. And so we can say that's sacrifice, that's giving, that's contribution. Okay. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Good. Uh, Maro says, Yogananda wrote an affirmation where he says, I want to know the true joyous duty of life. I want to know the true joyous duty of life. And we can affirm, I want to know the true joyous duty of my life. 
and maybe even better is um, the true joyous uh, duty of my life is revealing itself. So rather than I want to know at some point in the future, it's coming to me now. It's unfolding. I'm becoming more and more aware and awake to this essence of what I'm supposed to be about, my purpose. So, so we will joyfully go and do what we need to do. And we'll see you tomorrow if you're here. And um, have a good day. Namaste.